Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the 2024 Olympic Trials. And today, we are doing a little pre-Boston Marathon talk with Sarah Vaughn. Sarah, thank you for uh, coming on. I know we're, we're getting close to race day. It's getting a little tight. You, have a, you live a busy life. How's it going over there? It's crazy and busy and feels a little hectic, but I'm I'm so excited to race. Like, um, with everything that's going on in my life, I just keep reminding myself that I'm just really excited to race. I'm excited to get to Boston, have a few days to myself before – well, sort of, away from family, kids, other obligations. Nice. Now, um, listen, before we yeah. get into training talk and, you know, pre-race talk, obviously, you know, we're recording this – say obviously, we're recording this on April 6th. So there still is some time before race day. So some of the normal, like, race day considerations, like weather and stuff, like, we can't really talk through. But we will talk about plenty of that. Before we get to it, though, from a race weekend obligation perspective, you're a Puma athlete. I know Puma is making a big push around Boston. I've seen a lot of their um, interesting things they're doing with um, just panels. And just they're they're really going all out, it seems like, for Boston Mm -hmm. this year. My good friend Jonathan Levitt, I know he's doing a lot of panels for them as well. So what are your obligations for race weekend? And how do you even navigate that conversation in order to maximize your sponsor? obligations, but also your potential, like, you know, race results and execution. I um, am lucky that I have an awesome agent, Tom Radcliffe, and I just defer to him. So he sets up my schedule. So I feel like he has a really good feel, especially for Boston, um, what's too much. And I just trust him with my schedule. So I I literally, he's emailed it to me and texted it to me, but I haven't really looked at it too much. I know that I'm pretty busy um, Friday, Saturday. We get Sunday completely off. So I think basically Friday is like the general media day um, where they have like Every all all the top athletes um, get to be interviewed for a couple of hours, and then I have a Puma panel, um, and then on Saturday I have a mom panel with Sarah Hall and Alephine Tillamook. Um, so that'll be fun, and then maybe one more like Puma shakeout type question and answer thing. But um, hopefully it's not too much, and um, you know I'm not really worried about that. Like that's part of the gig, and uh, you know I'm I'm just excited to like connect with the marathon community um, and the Boston community. Like that's always really exciting and like energy giving to me, and it doesn't feel like a dream. That's exactly so, what I was yeah, going to ask I'm you excited. about. Was the the, the obligation ob- calling them obligations is kind of a, a derogatory term, but um, a, a lot of, a lot of the the sure. opportunities that you have. <laughs> <laughs> that your that your agent and your um your sponsors yeah. are setting up. Also, just like the hullabaloo about the weekend, it seems like some people there's, there's a wide range here, right? Some people view these kinds of things as like an energy yeah. vampire, like this is just going to suck the life out of me. Other people go other end of the spectrum. They're almost like a solar panel. They like absorb all the energy and they're ready to go. And most people fall within that range. Where do you fall in that spectrum? Yeah, probably in the middle. I mean, I do really like um, the panels and I do like meeting people. Um, But I do, I'm a little bit cautious because last year I do think I probably got sick at some point or like, you know, interacted with somebody and like picked up um, a virus like in the days preceding. So who knows what it was? It could have been from the airplane ride too. But um, so I'm a little bit like uh, aware of that, but um, certainly like the question and answer panels and the Puma stuff, um, I think will be, will be like exciting and energy giving to me. Um, and then Sunday, you know, I'm like, I'm a very outgoing social person. So I think as, as such, those things bring me energy, but then on Sunday, I'll probably just check out and try to do as little as possible. My family gets in 
um, Sunday midday. We'll do dinner and go to bed early. And, so your family comes in. Yeah, that'll be the we're plan. Going, we're diving deep into family logistics here. I actually was just telling you a family story before we even, even got on yeah. the show. So your family comes in. You yeah. have a big family. Yeah. How does that work? Like, do you guys have separate rooms? Do you guys share rooms? Like, what works for you from a, like, night before morning of perspective um, for that sort of thing? Yeah, I've learned over the years sort of the hard way that um, I'm really bad at, like, switching hats super quickly. So, like, if I'm with the kids that morning, like, trying to get in fierce competitor mode is, is difficult for me. So they do have – they'll have a separate room um, and – It'll be in the same hotel. We can, you know, eat dinner together, like I said. But also, typically with a marathon getting up so early, it doesn't really make sense to be all in the same hotel room. So, um, so yeah, so they'll just be down the hall or on a different floor, and Brent will kind of be in charge. I mean, the only, like, logistical thing that I struggle with is that I want Brent to be my coach, but he also needs to, like, be their dad, which mm. also brings me peace of mind. Um, so we need to so clone Brent. He'll we be need with them. Our, our, yeah. We need two friends, yeah, at least. Um, but he'll so he'll be with them the night before, and then the morning we'll we'll um, drop off our younger two. Well, they'll stay at the hotel with some friends that are coming in um, to watch them, like, and and they'll just watch in the hospitality suite, and then come out to the finish line when I'm getting close. And then Brent will be out on the course. And how has the day before changed for you, just from a mentality, and even the morning of? Um, in terms of a mentality perspective and energy conservation perspective as a marathoner now versus as a track athlete where you're doing more middle distance events that don't have the same kind of duration? Yeah, I mean, I learned uh, after or I guess during my first marathon and prepping for that, that because it was so different and um, foreign to me that I had a hard time getting nervous for it because um, there were no expectations. And so I remember even like heading to the starting line, texting Brent and he's like, are you nervous yet? And I'm like, no, not not even a little bit. And he's like, that's OK. It's a long race. You got a long time to get nervous. So um, that worked out like that mental approach for me, like not really, you know, getting too amped has worked out really well. Uh, so that's kind of what I try to take forward into my other marathons is there's no point in getting hyped up and nervous hours before the race when that race itself is a couple hours long. Um, I always get a drop of a dump of adrenaline at the starting line and then usually in the first water station because you're like just trying to get in a groove in the pack and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I got to remember to try to like remember which spot is mine, which number and table my bottle is at and try to grab it without dropping it and open a gel and all that stuff. So I always get like... Plenty of adrenaline the first 5K of the race, but um, up until that, I try to stay really Yeah, so morning of, after you wake up, do you feel like you have to kind of purposefully cycle down to make sure that you're not giving yourself too much mental mental energy and, and just a lot of, I don't know, like you said, like the game face mentality? Because I can imagine adopting that too early could be a drain on resources. Yeah, I mean, I do, I would say the morning of, it's like a calm, dialed in like really introspective time, but I can't even get to that zone too early because of family and kids, you know, like I can't, I can't be that person for a week leading into the race. And I know a lot of my competitors like get really dialed in, uh, you know, several days before I don't really have that luxury, but also I think it would be kind of draining on me if I did that just with my personality and how I function. So, um, but like, I just feel like it's business and life is normal until I wake up that race morning and then, um, you know, try to stay off social media, try to stay off my phone, like just really focus on feeling good and checking all the boxes and, 
Uh, I remember Boston last year, um, it being my second marathon, kind of forgetting what I had done for CIM, my first marathon, and like trying to remember, okay, what time did I eat and what did I eat and how much coffee did I have? Like that routine. Um, cause it's still somewhat new to me. So, uh, still kind of yeah, dialing but it's interesting that in. Cause you could take a lot of, you could potentially take a lot of lessons from that. Cause you're talking about a point to point course and depending where you stayed the night before at CIM, you know, the idea of like busing to the start and then yeah. running kind of back into town, which is obviously what you would be doing for in Boston. Um, and I guess morning of, I also want to think, are you more of like a music person? Like, how do you, you know, in terms of like setting just like the, the atmosphere of the morning again, are you, are you a music person, audiobook, nothing? What, what, how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, well, you're right. So the logistics are super similar to CIM. Like you've got that 45 minute bus ride to kind of like get in the zone and really um, get into competitor mode. I do listen to like some Spotify. Um, It kind of shifts as the morning goes. So like early in the morning, especially when it's still dark out. Um, it'll probably, probably be like some praise and worship music, like just some really spiritual, I feel like the marathon in general for me can be a pretty spiritual experience. So I like to connect to that part of myself. And then as we approach the starting line, it'll be something more like Macklemore or some <laughs> hype rap, you know, <laughs> a wide there range. You do you, and do you take the headphones like off the bus? Like how, is there like a drop bag that you get later or do you just like see you later phone? Like see, see you later like headphones. Yeah, no, I bring everything in a in a backpack and then like at Boston, you just put it all in a pile and they take it back to the to the finish line for you. So, you know, really once I start my warm up, I like try to get more aware of my surroundings and kind of like focus more outward. Um, but that's not until you and know, do you find, 50 minutes before. Um, the social aspect. I guess let me phrase it this way. From a social perspective, um, if there are people around you that you know well, that you're familiar with, whose energies you kind of vibe with, and being someone who, who lives in Boulder, there's probably a lot of people that you're going to know at the starting line. This, this, you know, even considering the fact that you've been in this for over 15, you know, 15 years or so. So, do you like to be social? Yeah. If the case, if like there's people around you that you know really well, or are you more insular in those moments? Like, you know, if you're in the church before the, you know, um, before the starting line, not the church. If you're like in that area before the starting line, and you save like half an hour to go before you're you're out and, and doing your thing. Yeah, well, I I just basically I try to respect other people's you know moods and vibes. So if somebody else has headphones on and they're really dialed in, I'll leave them alone. But my natural inclination is to be pretty social, and I used to fight that pretty bad. And in the early parts of my career, I remember having a coach who kind of like scolded me for um, I tucked in the tag of one of my competitors' um, jerseys, you know, and like gave her a pat on the back and was like chatting on the start line, and he was like focus on yourself. But that's, you know, so I used to like battle with myself a little bit um, and try not to be that way. But I've learned that if I'm just myself leading up to the start line, that that's a little, a little easier on me um, and not as emotionally draining, trying to like show some restraint all the time. So depending on the start line and who's there, there's usually someone who matches my energy and can be really chatty and joke with me on the starting line. And yeah, that's I mean, what I prefer. Yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds. I, I can see, I can see how someone would think that, but at the same time, like, you know, like you're a pro, like you, you know what you're doing. You don't, you don't need advice on how to do this. But, you know, it's like if also in that situation, yeah. I have always found like focusing on other people was such an easy way to like disconnect from like the wide range of like crazy thoughts in my own head. You know, like just like even just like yeah. random, just joking around conversations about like who knows what. It's just like, oh, this is like such a relief from just like the circus inside my mind. 
Totally. I totally agree. It kind of gets you out of your own head. And I just always think like um, when you find that person on the start line that matches your energy, it's relieving for them too. So I would, you know, if somebody's like that, I try to meet them where they are and, and chat. And uh, I feel like it makes both of us feel better. And, you know, it, it just adds to that sense of camaraderie that the marathon naturally lends itself to anyway. So um, yeah, I do enjoy that. And I've just learned not to fight it. And that's just who I am on the start line. So if anybody wants to chat, Marathon Monday right, start let's line. Let's talk I'll, about I'll training. Be- I guess, <laughs> generally speaking, how do you think the last, you know, six to ten weeks have gone? Um, Pretty well. I can't remember where, like, what week we were in when we last chatted. Oh, no. I think so it sorry was. Sorry this is uh, redundant at all. I think all, the but... first episode was February 3rd. So it was right around that time. It was very early February when we talked. Okay. Okay. So a while ago. So, um, training was consistent the first half of the block and then, um, but not great. Like it was just kind of like not quite clicking. And then I would say the last four or five weeks, it really has started to, um, click in, but every block, every, you know, session of training comes with like a hiccup and I didn't know what it was going to be this time. And it came in the form of our nanny, um, getting homesick and, and, going back home and quitting. So, so, um, so she went back to Mexico. I think, uh, the winter was really hard on her as it was all of us, but she just really wasn't used to it. And she got homesick and, and left, um, pretty abruptly. So we were kind of scrambling for childcare, which can put a huge, um, hitch in our schedule and training plan. So, yeah, I don't know. It was like kind of a few weeks in there where I was like on the treadmill a lot. I've done all my doubles on the treadmill the last the whole second half of this block um, just because we don't have like full-time childcare right now. So I don't know. It's been a little weird, but the last few weeks have been really solid. And then the last few days I felt a little off, but I think it's because we started the taper and then my legs are just feeling a little antsy. Um, it's presenting as like soreness sort of, or like stiffness, but all right. I think so it's let's all normal. Let's go into a month and a half ago, two <laughs> months ago when things were fine, but they're just fine. Right. And you're in that situation. You're kind of waiting. You're hoping. Yeah. How do you manage that? Like, first of all, like, what does that mean in terms of like your results? And I mean, it, like from a day to day perspective, results is not the right word, but like the execution. Like, does that mean like the workouts aren't going great? Yeah. Or like maybe the volume seems like a lot or you're just kind of like, you know, maybe you don't have that pop. But more importantly, how do, when you're going through that, are you able to take a like a zoomed out approach or do you have a habit of like kind of zooming in and like every day is kind of a referendum on like how training is going? Um, more the former of those two views. I think, um, I was doing like, we do occasionally some repeat workouts, but not, you know, every marathon block is a little bit different, but those key workouts that we do repeat, I had one pretty early on and I just was like off the pace a little bit, felt awful, um, kind of found a way to blame it on the weather. I mean, it's been awful and cloudy and gloomy and yucky, like we talked about last time. And so I just kind of found a way to like blame it on external things, but really like what's helped me, um, in general, learning how to train for the marathon is something that Des said to me pretty early on. Um, and she was just like, just get in the work, stop. You know, you can't compare times. It doesn't mean you're not getting fitter macro cycle or over a longer period of time. But, um, yeah, just like not, not 
trying to read too much into each individual workout. And if someone like does says something like that to you, you're, I'm, I'm going to believe her. So, um, so that's what I just try to keep in mind. And yeah, I mean, the mileage was a little weird too. Like normally we kind of fluctuate, we go up to like peak 130 and then back down. And every week I had on the schedule, one thirty, something would happen and I would miss a day of training, like a half day of training or miss a morning or I don't know, like the babies, like not literally not have childcare or a stomach flu or we were sick a bunch this winter. So I never hit those peak mileages either. So it ended up just being like a very flat line mileage, um, mileage wise, which is a little different. So we'll see. We'll see. Did it affect kind of like the, again, all the miles are important. There's a reason you have 130 on the schedule where you're ever in a situation where like, oh man, like this, this session, this quality session or this long run, um, is being interrupted or was it more of the, the doubles and the easy days that were affected by some of those, those hiccups in the schedule? Some of the big key workouts got pushed and rearranged, but, you know, we make a pretty big point to, like, keep those um, front and center. So, yeah, it was, like, some easy runs and um, some of the doubles that just didn't get accomplished. Um, And I'm a very even-keeled person. In fact, I think it annoys Brent a little bit that I don't get, like, riled up very much because he's, like, he's, like, a little bit more excitable than me. Um, But, like, I just don't panic about anything. I'm just, like, yeah, I got in. I mean, 120 miles is still way more than I normally do. And, like, you know, that's still solid marathon training. So, I don't know. I'm not going to be too upset about it. And, uh, yeah, I just don't panic about much. I mean, if 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 something devastating happened, I might – be a little more emotional, but none of it really. Like I still got into yeah, a lot of good for sure. Work. I mean, 120 again. Everybody's different, but there's plenty of people out there, even ultra runners, who run less than 120 miles a week. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, it's so still, still let's a talk lot about of good what work. you and Brent were focusing on um, in this build, uh, specifically during um, kind of the, the peak. You know, the four to six crucial four to six week crucial period leading into the marathon, um, which is probably ending right around now. Uh, frankly, um, so. What were the things that you guys really tried to make the the priority within those weeks? Yeah, so kind of two things, um, this build. The first one, getting really comfortable even more than I already am on just pounding some downhills and then throwing in some uphills, so really mimicking the course. Um, So we did a really good job, thanks to some help from some other groups, um, but really mimicking the Boston course, so like a 22-mile long run with some really big hills at mile 17, 18, um, and then finishing with a short downhill again, which logistically takes a little more effort um, because a lot of my long runs are – Uh, self-supported. So I'll do like four to six mile loops from my car, grab a drink, you know, and just be on my own. But obviously if you're doing a course that you want to do downhill twice, um, you need somebody in a car to pick you up at the end and bring you drinks. And so um, I did get a a couple of really fun long runs with Brent and the kids that, um, you know, they, they drove around the Boulder back roads for a couple of hours, handing me drinks and watching on the iPad and they were great troopers and I got cheers every 20 minutes. So um, that was really fun, but it does take like a little extra effort. Um, And then the second thing is just focusing on keeping putting in work in like like weird sub marathon zone for me that I like never work out in. So like going from the track to the marathon and kind of skipping those 5k, 10k paces and work. I just really have never worked out much in those zones. So I feel like we've done a lot of 10k looking training coupled with like those. When you say 10k type training, what would a session heavy on that pace look like? Yeah. So 
for example, when we're, you know, just classic marathon training, we're doing like 10 to 14 miles at, at marathon pace. Um, but when we're doing a 10 K workout, it's more like actually six to 10 miles, um, at 10 K pace. So, and a little bit more broken up. So two K's and one K's, um, actually we just posted a YouTube video of, yeah. um, a you workout were flying from a couple in that weeks thing. ago. <laughs> yeah, really it, was, it ended up being, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, so the idea was that it should have been a little faster than marathon pace. So I think, you know, I averaged like 525s on the 2Ks and, you know, five-minute pace on the 1Ks. And just practicing like that turnover that my body's a little bit unfamiliar with because of the downhills in Boston and just studying the course in past races, um, there will be a point where I have to be comfortable with 515, 520 pace, you know, and, and rolling with those undulating paces. So. Those were the focuses, and hopefully, and hopefully pounding they pay the downhills so to get ready for Boston is that uh, is that to mimic the first 10k? Is that the idea is to mimic the last 10k, or you know some of the I think around mile 13? There's the overpass, and then it comes down uh, from there. Like when when you're doing that to be race specific, what parts of the race are you targeting? Yeah, kind of just a condensed version of the whole thing. So um, for that, those specific long runs, we would do. Um, like six to 10 miles downhill. And then in Boulder, it's kind of impossible to keep going downhill. Like you have to hit an uphill at some point. So it'd be kind of like gradual up and then um, mimicking the Newton Hills, which I think in the race come at mile 16. Um, So we would try to do that at mile 16, hit a couple of really big uphills and then go downhill again for another couple of miles to mimic that last 10K, which is a pretty steep downhill. Um, Yeah, so we just kind of condensed it all into like a 22-mile run instead of a 26-mile run. Um, And hopefully hopefully those Boston Hills don't feel too scary or intimidating compared to to the the altitude boulder boulder back road. That's a New Englander. I would say the Rockies are bigger. I'm just just going to throw that out there. Yeah, a couple of those we did up at like 9,000 feet too. So we were up, you know, up in the hills. like. Like we talked about last last podcast, um, yeah, we went up higher and hit some mountain roads. I think it, the one that everyone tough. knows is, is Magnolia Road. Is that one of the ones that you hit up there? Yeah, yeah. We did um, two sessions up there, this build. And it's funny, like I did the kind of like a 20-mile loop and then turn around and finish downhill. But I think I had like a nine-minute mile as well as several like 530 miles <laughs> to just give you an idea now, of how hard doing- it was. <laughs> prep at marathon pace for an extended period of time how are you factoring in factoring in and doing the altitude adjustment for those efforts yeah i've gotten to the point you know we've lived here for so long that i stopped doing like calculations in my head of altitude adjustments and it just is what it is so um i don't really know the specifics on you know, the numbers of if I, if I run a bunch of 535s here, does that mean 530s at sea level? I don't know. We just break it up a little bit more, I think, you know, so I don't do, I know a lot of my um, competitors will do like long 12 plus mile tempos at sea level at marathon pace. I don't get to do that here. That's just almost impossible, but we can break it up and do five miles at marathon pace, five miles steady or do in and out miles. Like you just kind of have to break it up differently. So I don't know. I don't, I try not to think too much about like conversions. I just try to make race pace up here feel as comfortable as possible for as long as I can. And you know, it's not, it's not 12 miles at a time necessarily, but we've, we've gotten lots yeah, of and, and you've been doing pace. this for such a long time, uh, making these adjustments that, you know, this isn't, this isn't a novel experience by any means. When you're thinking about race day strategy, 
how much of it is what you're capable from a fitness perspective and the range of outcomes that you think are probable versus just competing with mm -hmm. the people around you and, you know, in just racing the race for what it is and not viewing it necessarily as a time trial. Yeah. I think my strategy on that will be to, um, you know, I think we've done everything we can to get my fitness. My husband was just saying he thinks I'm in the best shape of my life. So I think I'm re I'm definitely ready to PR and run fast and run with almost anyone. That's the attitude I will bring with the qualifier, like a sort of like a governor on it of like, don't do anything stupid. Right. Which is like, <laughs> there's a lot of gray area between those. Right. I mean, like those split second decisions, right? Like, do you go with someone? Do you not go with someone? This is someone who like I view as like a peer of mine. So I should probably go with them versus like maybe a newer person that I'm not maybe as familiar with. Like how do, from a racing perspective, when you're in, in not only in a major race like this, but also an international field where you may not know every single person really well on the starting line. Obviously, you'll probably know the vast yeah. majority of them, but maybe not intimately. How does that factor in into those race day split decisions of like to go with someone, to not go with someone when there are all of a sudden some breaks happening? I mean, I think for me, the the check and balance that I will use is my watch and just know like, you know, 510 pace at mile three is probably a bad idea for me. Um, and so that maybe will help me make that decision. Um, but as far as like person to person you know, something Brent always says is don't put anybody on a pedestal because the moment you do, they could have a bad day. And if you're basing your whole race plan on them, um, you know, it could blow up in your face. So definitely, you know, respect all of my competitors, but don't put any of them on a pedestal is sort of my attitude and just use my watch as a little bit of a governor and, um, and, but primarily just really feeling it out because I, um, I, you know, I've learned a couple of times now that like, overthinking it or over prescribing it can leave seconds on the table minutes on the table who knows so i'm just really gonna fill it out and i feel like i don't have anything to lose um so like why not just kind of go for it i don't need so to play it safe with that for any mind, reason at what point does the watch stop being useful in terms of managing pace and effort and things like that mm -hmm. i guess by that, by, by that i mean at what point in the race think, is the watch irrelevant yeah. Yeah. I think for the first half, it'll be my plan to check in with pace. Um, and then the second half or maybe mile 16, you know, right in that first Newton Hill, when you make the right hand turn by the fire station, that's like to me where the race starts and who cares what the watch says. Um, and definitely on the backside of the hills, like that'll be, that'll be um, fun race mode for yeah, me. This is really exciting. You have such a great field, right? I mean, so are you, are you aware, do you like to, do you like to know who's racing before, before you get there? I've looked at the field once. Um, I looked when they announced it and I have not looked again. I just assume everybody is <laughs> because was the so list long. was so long. I, like, I was like, I'm going to, I remember they announced, I'm like, I'm going to memorize this list. And I picked up, I'm like, I'm not going to memorize this list. I'm not yeah. even going to try <laughs> I literally thought they left me off the start list because I was like on the on the third <laughs> page of the Instagram post. So, um, no, I just I just assume everybody is like I'm just I don't know who's dropped out. I know Helen O'Beary added right. that was like a big buzz um, here in Boulder last week or whatever. But um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm like I looked and I've forgotten. I'm just it's everybody's going to be. It there. sure it's is. Be a big that party. is that. There's no question about that. And I actually was just uh, I just finished up Choose to Run. Mm-hmm. I got uh, Des's book yesterday on on Audible. I was just I just finished listening to it before yeah. uh, before we started here, and it really was fun to listen to. She dives really d- deep into the 2018 race and also 2011 was it 2011 or 2012 when she was runner up. It was one of the two. 11. Okay. Um, and dive, dive 11. deep into that race 11, as well. Yeah. So it really provides a lot of excellent insight into the, the training, the racing, and really the, I thought she did a great job of, of tackling the in race tactics of going through this sort of thing, like how to, how to manage surges and, you know, when it's like how to, when you're trying to catch up to somebody, like how to do it slowly, not necessarily too fast, but in, on all the things around that. So right. I really did, it really got me in the mood to like, all right, Boston time, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so that's not a question. That's just a comment that I wanted to get off yeah. my chest. Cause I was really excited to talk to you yeah. after listening to that, listening to that book. So exciting. I know. There's nothing that creates a buzz like the Boston Marathon, truly. Like, there's nothing like it in the running world. Yeah, so, for sure. I, I get so, it. All right. Just a couple of questions before we get going. So, do you have your goals for the race set up? Like, how do you do race goals? Mm, kind of. I mean, they're pretty loose. Like, I've been seventh at a major marathon. That would be great to be top 10 again. But um, I also realize that the field is ridiculous and that I might have a really good day and not be in the top 10. So um, I have a lot of like ways where it could be a good day for me. I know that my fitness is there where on a good day or just like a B plus day, um, I should get a PR. But then we also know that the weather can be ridiculous and that, you know, sub two third or, you know, 230 plus we'll can keep win the, the weather race as we're talking so, all right um so are there i won't bring I it up if you don't want yet. me to uh i will when i start talking okay. oh i don't know i don't care i'd love to i love to hear people um but i just i feel like you know it's famously that's changeable why I don't, this that's time why of I don't year look. so who like, knows? i might as well just like let's see here so we yeah. are I mean, it can't be as crazy as Boulder, where it snowed three inches yesterday and it's like yeah i mean it's, it's, today, it's so. up and down it's all over the place right so it's like, let's see here. Not so t- we're recording this on Thursday. So next Friday, they're saying in Boston it will be 83. Wow. It really is. Then the next night, it's down to 47. So what does that mean? I don't know what oh, that okay. means. Normal. I guess pack your whole wardrobe. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. I've got a really big suitcase. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll be fine. Um, a pack for any situation, and you know, uh, like I said, success for me on that day can be defined in a lot of different ways. I think, kind of going back to what we were talking to, just being competitive and competing, and like seeing what I can get out of myself, which to me has always now, been the point. Um, right, anyway. Two more questions. One thing I meant to mention before, and I and I didn't get to, was when you're in this marathon build, big race, a race kind of situation. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're the the person who's who's helping you with like the the kids and the house. All of a sudden, they're not there. How does that affect the real estate stuff? Because you're also a realtor as well as a professional runner, as well as someone who has you know kids running around and you're doing all this stuff. So all of a sudden, you lose some of the help you need. How does that influence the other side of your professional yeah. life? Yeah, it's been tough. It's been a bit of a scramble. Um, I brought David with me to a showing last week. Um, luckily, I have, in general, awesome clients who just like understand. I mean, that's why they want. That's why they're moving to Boulder, right? Because they want to be um, around amongst. Yeah, <laughs> the lifestyle. 
Yeah, no, they don't mind. Most I mean, I've never had anybody be like, oh, how unprofessional of you. And it's happened, you know, often over the years. So um, it's been okay. Like we're balancing it. We've got a college girl from CU who's been who jumped in and has been really helpful um, in the morning so I can get my workouts done. Um, and, you know, I, this is how I'm thinking of it. I literally had been kind of praying and thinking about how I can spend more time with my kids at the beginning of the year. And it, God was like, there you go. Nanny quit. They're all yours. <laughs> so I've gotten to spend a ton of time with my kids and it's been great. And, you know, bank account doesn't love it as much, but, uh, it is what it is. They're only, they're only little ones. And I've got one going to college in like a year and a half. So really puts it into perspective. Um, that time Absolutely. is super valuable. All right, last question them. before we get going, what's going to be on your feet for race day? Gosh. Okay. I cannot decide. I keep going back and forth. I've got two really good options. I've got the Puma um, Nitro Fast R, which is what I wore last year in Boston and in Chicago. Um, and it just feels fast. It makes you want to go fast. But I also feel like with all the downhills in Boston, the he- the heel of it is a little more tapered. And so the other option is the uh, the Deviate Elite 2. Um, and I've done my last two long runs in that. And I'm like, dang, that feels good too. It just feels a little different. Like it's a little, it's not as stiff and it's um, it's a little softer, but it does have that cushioned heel. So I'm leaning towards that one now. But when I filled out my shoe report for BAA, I put in the fast R. So it'll be one of the two. I'm like literally 50-50 wow, right now. This is exciting. I, can't, I, I love shoes. I love <laughs> shoes so much. I'm not sponsored by Puma. If anyone's curious, I'm wearing an Under Armour shirt. That proves it. Um, but I actually have some of those shoes in my house. I have the I have the Deviate Elite 1 and the Deviate um, Nitro 1 and the Deviate Nitro 2. Actually, I just got the Forever Run as well. Um, so I got I got a lot of these shoes. I don't have the Fast R. So people don't know the Fast R is the one that has like this significant like decoupling of the heel and the forefoot with the exposed carbon plate. And the heel also is not the Nitro Elite foam, right? It's more of like an EVA-based foam. It's EVA, yeah. So it's a little bit um, mm-hmm. like not as giving. It's a little bit stiffer. Yeah. But it, I mean, to, to me, the, the biggest difference is like how tapered it is. So if you're like running midfoot on flat ground to go like low five minute pace, that's, it's perfect. But if you're like more heel striking on the downhills, there's a little bit less there to absorb. So I'm kind of leaning like because of the downhills and protecting the legs a little more, um, I'm leaning towards the DBA elite, but I've, the fast R has treated me well in the past. I PR'd in it. By, Does like, weather play a part in so, I don't know. No, they both have the Puma grip. If it rains, they'll be fine. That outsole um, is really sticky um, and really nice. So I don't really think that would matter. Um, I just got to make up my mind. (laughs) I switched. I had my last workout today and I switched (laughs) midway to like see which one I would like better. So what's going to be the (laughs) tiebreaker? Is it like an external? Like, do you have have to talk to another Puma athlete? Like, which one do you like more? Maybe, you know, like, I'm going to delegate the decision making process. All of them that I spoke to. I tried. All of them that I spoke to are all wearing um, the Deviate Elite. No, like not very many um, marathoners, at least U.S. based mm-hmm. marathoners, will wear the Fast R. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if that'll be helpful. I've tried, but it, that I'm leaning towards that. But um, maybe I'll just have to draw straws on this morning. You just put them in like each put them in separate bags and see which one arrives. Like God's hands. Oh, I lost a bag. It wasn't that one. I wasn't supposed to wear that one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, Sarah, thank idea. you so much for coming on the show. This was great. I can't wait to recap the race with you in a couple of weeks. Uh, good luck uh, and safe travels on the way to Boston. And thanks again for doing this. 
Thank you. See you soon.